Welcome back to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you stop that. Stop what? Stop <laughs> leaving your sentences open ended. Every time you do, the audience screams. <laughs> Helen, do you think you can win this game? Oh, yes, I know I can, because God said in Jeremiah 29, 11 that he has plans for me to prosper. <laughs> That's right, he did. <laughs> you just can't say that. Sure she can, because she just did. And she gets another 29.11 points. I don't even know who Jeremiah is, but the verse is on my coffee mug. <laughs> Lots more to come here on Twisted. But first, a message from this pastor. Open your Bible this morning to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. We will be continuing our series called Twisted. And uh, there are notes in your bulletin there. So make sure you pull those out. We encourage you to take notes because as we've said before, statistics say 90% of people who take notes go to heaven when they die. So you want to make sure you increase those odds as much as possible. You don't want to do anything to lower those odds, obviously. And so take notes, take notes, take notes. I will say this. Uh, if you notice, the notes this week actually have a backside to them. Uh, usually they're blank on the back. Uh, do not be afraid. Let your heart not be troubled. Um, we will endure this season, and uh, it will not be that hard to get through. Uh, because I know there is barbecue waiting for me after the service today. So uh, we are going to bow in prayer in about 15 minutes and dismiss and so, no, just kidding. Uh, Jeremiah 29.11, we're going to get into uh, the third week of our series on Twisted. Uh, we've been talking about the most misused and misapplied Bible verses. When I say that, it is not an exhaustive list. Uh, many, many times you will have a conversation with somebody, and they'll just quote a verse to you, and you'll kind of be thinking, is that, is that what that verse means? I mean, can you just say that verse that way, or, or what is that verse talking about? And so we've been breaking apart four of the popular ones. Just two weeks, we've talked a lot about some different aspects of that. Uh, we've talked about in the first week what matters to God when we pray, what matters to God when we pray. Last week, we talked about what did Jesus really have to say about judging. Um, a lot of times we'll say, you know, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. And we'll throw that out there. Usually when we're doing something that we know we should be judged for doing that's wrong, but we don't want to be held accountable, so we'll just throw that out there to make the other person feel bad, and they'll back off. Because after all, we want to be like Jesus, and Jesus obviously never made any judgments of any kind against anybody, right? Of course not. He made tons of judgments. Um, we talked about that last week, though, and so I don't want to spoil it. If you have not, or if you were not here, uh, you can get that, the whole series, actually. Uh, you can sign up for that on CD, or you can get them online uh, and listen to those. But what did Jesus really say about judging? We talked about that last week, and I pray that was a blessing to you and gave some clarity to those things. Before we get into the verse for this morning in your notes there, there's three key things as a review that we talked about the last couple of weeks. Three key things that we need to do to be able to understand Scripture appropriately, be able to kind of do Bible study uh, in, in a way that's effective. There's three keys. Understand context. This is in your notes there. Scripture interpreted with Scripture. And then apply what you learned. Okay, those three things, when done consistently in Bible study, will create a mindset, and a lifestyle that reflects Scripture. And so today we are going to be looking at a passage that is so popular around this time of year in graduation cards, in, in cards for open houses. We'll put this verse on there. Um, some of you maybe do have a coffee mug with this verse on it. Some of you may have um, posters with this on it, T-shirts, refrigerator magnets. 
Um, some of you may even have a pillow somewhere in your house that your grandmother like cross-stitched this verse into there. Um, and it's beautiful. And you love that pillow because granny made it for you and it's just special. Okay. We see this verse everywhere. What does it really mean? What is it really talking about? I believe that we will come up with a different view on some minor, minor parts of the Bible, but I believe if we take these principles and apply it to Bible study, we will come up with an understanding of some clear principles in Scripture. There are some things we're going to get into Scripture that are going to be like, well, I kind of disagree with that point or this point. We talk about end times, right? Everybody's got seemingly a different end times view. But when it comes to Jesus being the only way to salvation, the Bible being the Word of God, that you're saved by grace alone and not by works, these are clear things from Scripture that we need to understand. So when I talk about this idea of what is Jeremiah 29, 11 talking about, what are these verses really talking about, I'm not saying that we're always going to agree on every single verse of the Bible. But I do believe that if we really look at Scripture and let Scripture be Scripture, and as I said last week, if we interpret it with a literal mindset, not that everything in the Bible is literal, but if it's a metaphor, we take it as a metaphor. If it's, a, if it's prophetic language, we take it as prophetic language. We understand these things. The more we do that, the more we're going to come to a clear understanding on the major parts of Scripture. And I've said it before. Anytime a church or a denomination or an individual gets off track in their thinking doctrinally or what Scripture has to say in its teaching, anytime that happens, if you really start boiling it down, it comes down to they're not really elevating the Word of God as the Word of God. They read a book by somebody that said they were a Christian author, and they read this book that millions of people have read, and they think somehow because millions of people have read it, it therefore makes it valid. So then I take that book that some human author wrote, and I compare it to this book that God wrote, and I think somehow the human author has it right. Let me tell you something. If, a pa if I ever say anything that goes against this book, this book is right, not me. If someone on TV, by the way, and just because it's on Christian TV doesn't make it Christian, just going to throw that out there. Just because on TBN doesn't mean the guy's really preaching the Bible, okay? That doesn't make it necessarily biblical. But anytime someone goes against this book, we can't start to question, maybe this book is just outdated. Maybe this, just, this book just doesn't get what's going on in today's culture. This book has to always be our standard for our faith and our practice. You know nothing of God but what this book tells you, Romans 10, 17. You don't even have faith without this book. Man, it's crazy how little we give to this book. And I feel the more we ignore this book and the truths therein, the quicker we'll fall into different traps in our thinking. We'll believe lies about God. I've said it before, the only way to know and the best way to know a lie about God is to know the truth about God. And so I'm telling you, be, just be discerning. Just be, just be aware of those things. You can disagree on some things. I've got some great friends that believe that speaking in tongues are for today's church. Great friends. Love them in the Lord. I believe tongues are not for today. Our church would believe that tongues are not for today. It's not a gift given today. But do we fight about those things? No. Why? Because it's a minor point. That individual I'm talking about, or individuals, believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That this is the word of God. That I'm only saved by grace alone. So guess what? We don't fight about the little minor things we disagree on. We focus on the common ground of Jesus Christ. So I'm not saying we're always going to agree on everything. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is there are some clear things in Scripture that a follower of Christ must agree with. And so just be careful there because I believe that we can be led astray very quickly. And this verse in 29.11 is kind of a, a small example of that. So I want to jump into this popular verse and discover what is it talking about. Look at the verse with me. Jeremiah 
For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end. Now, this verse is often quoted in a different translation in today's day and age and often used in in graduation cards in a different translation. So I'm going to give that to you, the one that I think is more popular translation of this verse. And once I read it, you might remember or hear this I remember hearing this at some point. So uh, another translation says it this way. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now let me just ask you a question. Just just me reading that verse, okay? Let's just pretend we don't know context. We don't know any of that yet, okay? Is that a good sounding verse to your ears? Let me read it again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you would say, that sounds like good news? Raise your hand. How many of you would say, it sounds like bad news? Ew, yucky. Don't like that. Okay, obviously, because we love that verse. I love the woman in the video. Love it. I have no idea who Jeremiah is, but I have a coffee mug with it on it, so it must be good, right? I've seen some Christian coffee mugs. They're rough. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? Christian bumper. I'm like, really? Why would you put that on your car? Let's not go there. But this verse, when it talks about this idea of prospering us, not harming us, a hope and a future, we're like, yeah, I like the sound of that. We want this verse to be about us because we love the idea that God would promise to prosper us. We love the idea that God would make our hope and our future glorious. Now, I don't know about you, but let's just, let's just throw this out here. What do you think of the word prosper? Like when you think somebody's prospering, now, don't go super spiritual on me. Just think humanly, think normally, think just if you were really being honest, what does it sound like or look like when somebody's prospering? Somebody give me an answer. What does it mean to prosper? Quick. Wealth. Three or four people said wealth. Okay, what else? Prospering. Wealth. What else? What? Things. Okay. Okay, your neighbor that's got two cars and you've got one, are they more prosperous than you? You'd say yes. Okay. They go on vacation six times a year. You go on vacation to like Walmart. That's just like how you do. Okay. Okay, and you don't go to Walmart to buy nothing. You just go to like window shop. Like, oh, look at that TV. That looks great. Maybe six more years, honey, we can get that forty-five inch TV. You know, I've never, I've never experienced that. Obviously, being in ministry, we just walk into Walmart and we're like, we'll take two of those, three of those. You know, it's just how we do. No, not at all. Um, but we want this to be about us because we want to be prosperous. This is an American dream, after all. I mean, isn't the point of God? And us following God, for God to give us whatever we want, whenever we want it, so we can be happy and just, he can serve us. I mean, is that really what we're here for? Isn't that what American Christianity teaches? That God is good, so therefore he'll give you whatever you want, whenever you want it. And if you don't get what you want, it's not God's problem, it's your lack of faith. This is stuff that's on TV, like right now, I could go find you a show that's preaching this. If you don't get all that you want, and if you don't have the big house and the big check account, and if you get sick, guess what? No, you have no faith. I'm better than you because God promised to prosper you. So if you're not being prospered, you must be doing something. And when we do this, we whittle the gospel down to mean nothing. We make it so vain and empty. We make it more about us. Let's look, dig a little deeper into this verse and find out what is God really saying here? Who is God really promising to prosper, and how will he prosper us, if anything? What's the context of this verse? So number one, your notes, let's understand the context. Let's understand the context. Written by Jeremiah, who was a prophet, written by Jeremiah, and sent to the Jewish exiles. 
sent to the exiles, those that were cast out. The people of God disobeyed God's commands countless times. We read about this all throughout the Old Testament. And they refused to repent. So story short, I'm reviewing a lot of history really quick. God allowed the Babylonians to come in to capture the Jewish people and to take them into captivity. And Jeremiah is writing to these Jews that have been taken into captivity, that are being taken into captivity. He's writing to them as they are at home in a land that is not their home. They are in a land of strangers, strange language, strange customs. They, don't, they miss home. They miss their, their closeness with their family and friends who either died or are disconnected from them now. They're alone in essence. And they are wondering if God even cares about them because God allowed this to happen to them. And Jeremiah is comfort to them, believe it or not. A word of encouragement to them. And I believe God is using Jeremiah to send that promise to these people. Jeremiah is writing on behalf of God a promise to those in captivity. He's saying God is in this promise. God has not forgot you. God has not forgotten you. God is not going to leave you there forever. Listen, there's a promise here that I want to tell you. God is wanting to encourage those in captivity. A little side note here. Whenever God makes a promise, he will always fulfill that promise. Amen. Whenever God makes a promise, Philippians 1, 6, jot it down, Philippians 1, verse 6. Whenever God makes a promise, he will always fulfill that promise. It's Father's Day, I can be honest with you. I've probably made promises I've not kept. Okay, we've done this when we're like, yeah, 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 you can have ice cream at home. Because you're trying to get out of the open house and you don't want any more ice cream ingested by your nine-year-old. And you're like, yeah, 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 no no more ice cream at home. And then you get home and it's like later than you thought it was going to be. And it's like 9 o'clock at night, and your 9-year-old looks at you and says, Hey, Dad, you said we could have ice cream when we got home. And then you try to logic out with your 9-year-old the fact that it's 9 o'clock at night, and they have no concern about that. (laughs) No, 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 listen, son, I know I said that, and I kind of promised it, but there was a condition on that promise. And, like, all of a sudden, my nine-year-old becomes, like, Matlock, right? Like, he's like, no, 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 the law says you didn't explain the condition. You didn't disclose that information. I want ice cream, and I want it now. Okay, it's like people's court in my living room at the time, okay? And he has, like, pictures and, like, visual aids and, like, diagrams and, like, evidence one and evidence two. And I'm like, what is going on right now? So often we do this. We, we make promises, and sometimes we make them with the greatest intentions, But then something happens, something we didn't expect. And all of a sudden, the promise has to what? Change somewhat. That's a silly example. Some of us understand there's more serious examples in in what I could be talking about. But the principle is the same. With God, that never happens. God will never promise something and not fulfill that promise 100%. It's amazing. You know how God can do that? Because when he promised it, he knew the outcome. He knew all the conditions. He knew all the things that would happen. And he knew, I can promise this, and I will do it. God will never break a promise. But this is a promise to the Jewish exiles. And so I want to give you really two types of promises in the Bible, in your notes. There's two types of promises in the Bible. Okay, two types of promises in the Bible. The first one is a specific promise. Specific promise. Promise. This is a promise given to certain people at a certain time. An example of that, uh, other than this text here in Jeremiah 29 11, would be Genesis chapter 12. Abram is promised a great nation, meaning he'll have lots of children. 
I can't then say, because God promised Abraham lots of children, God will give me lots of children. Because he promised Abraham, so he must then be promising me. I can't do that. That was a specific promise to a specific person. Now we understand who comes from the line of Abraham that is the great blessing to all nations. Jesus Christ. Now I can be a part of that part of the promise, but not the simple fact of he had a bunch of kids because God promised it. Therefore, God must give me a bunch of kids because I'm receiving that promise for myself. It doesn't work that way. There are specific promises to specific people and individuals in the Bible. But number two, there are also general promises given to everyone who demonstrates the condition if there is one. Example, that would be salvation. Salvation is for everyone. Salvation is a promise to everyone. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise to everyone. If you do it, you will be saved. There happens to be a condition on that, though. You have to receive it. You have to, therefore, call in the name of the Lord, the Bible says. A, a general promise. For God so loved the world. He loves you unconditionally. That's a promise. He promises to love you unconditionally. Whether you know him or not, he's going to love you. And up until the last moment of your last breath, you have a chance for salvation. You have a chance for repentance. Why? Because he loves you. So these are general promises. So there's specific promises and there's general promises. This verse in Jeremiah 20 and 11 is a specific promise given to a specific group of people, the Jewish exiles, not to us specifically. But let me ask you a question. Why do we want so badly the you in that verse to be you and I? Why do we want this promise so badly to be about us? And I believe it's because we want to be the main character in the Word of God. We want to be the you all the time. We want to be the center stage. We want to be the main points. I am most important, and therefore I want to be blessed, prospered, and not harmed. But let her see in your notes, what happens when those things don't happen? Let me give you an example. I take 2911 to be for me, and I pray, and I, I seek God, and I ask him to bless me. But all of a sudden, I don't see the prospering. I don't see the blessing, and I actually receive harm. So what happens to the individual Christian who has been taught that this Bible verse is for them specifically, then they try to live it out, but then God does something else because, well, he's God, has a different plan. What happens to those Christians? What happens to those individuals who now live this out? I'll give you an example in your notes there. Because I truly believe it affects our view of God. Under letter C there in your notes, I prayed and I wasn't blessed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you could, I'm sure you would and say as a follower of Christ, you've prayed and you weren't blessed in that season. Maybe you weren't blessed the way you thought you'd be blessed. Right? Maybe you prayed for a specific thing and God brought it a different way later. And you're like, God, I never even thought that would happen that way. But in any case, in that moment, you prayed, but you weren't blessed. I'm faithful, you might say, but you lost your job. That never happens, right? Never happens where faithful men and women who work hard lose their jobs. That never happens. Because if you lose your job, is that your idea of prospering? No. Humanly speaking, it's not. So what happens to the Christian who says, well, wait a minute, God, but you promised me you would bless me. You promised me you would prosper me. And I was faithful to you. I worked hard for you. And I lost my job? Do you see how this washes out in real life? Do you see how if we're not careful, it actually starts to affect our view of God. And we start thinking, God, 
God, maybe I don't know you like I thought I did. Maybe, maybe you're not really the God that I thought you were. Lastly, I preach the word. I preach the word. I'm faithful. And you said in your word, you would not harm me. You would not allow me to be harmed. But let's, let's be honest for a minute. Our brothers and sisters all over the world are being harmed at this very moment. They're preaching the word in churches and in cities and in nations where they're not allowed to. And they're being arrested, persecuted, and killed. So did God lie? Well, if you believe this promise is for you, then God lied to you. Maybe it's not martyrdom. Maybe it's not death. But maybe it's just some other form of persecution that you suffer. You preach the word, and yet you're harmed in your character. People attack you. People go after you. People point fingers at you and and mock you and ridicule you. I truly believe that if we don't understand verse and verses like it in context, we end up either believing God doesn't love me, God must hate me then. If he's not going to prosper me, it must not be God's fault. Maybe it's my fault. He must hate me and not really love me after all. Or we believe God is a liar, unable to keep his promise. And we have to be on guard to understand these things because I'm telling you, it affects how we live for him. It affects how we pray to him. You pray and you expect God to answer and he does it. And then you get mad at God and you say, you know what? I'm not praying anymore. I had a conversation with someone not long ago that prayed for someone to be healed. And they weren't healed like they thought they should be. And they said, you know what? I'm not praying anymore because God might not care. I know God could heal this person, but he doesn't. So why even pray? Because he's not going to do it anyway. I mean, do you see how they misunderstand God's purpose in their life? Well, let's just be honest for a second. I think we could all fall into that, could we not? Man, we believe God wants something, so we pray for it, and then he doesn't do it. Which leads me to ask a question. What is our ultimate goal in life? What really is our ultimate goal in life? God is not there to serve us. Our ultimate goal in life is to serve and glorify God. Not for him to serve and glorify me. And when he does serve and bless me, it is for his glory first and my benefit second. Will God bless you? Absolutely he will. Praise God for his blessings. If you woke up this morning and you had air conditioning in your home, you praise God for that. You know what I'm saying? If you woke up this morning and you were in a bed, you praise God for that. Some of you may have woke up on the couch. We're not going there this morning. It's Father's Day. We're all good. If you woke up on anything other than a bed or a couch, like the literal doghouse, we'll pray for you. Come forward at the end of service. We'll lay hands. We'll have an intervention of sorts. It'd be great. But if you are experiencing the blessings of God, we praise him. But listen, you don't exist. And rather, let me say this way. God doesn't exist to just serve you. You exist to serve him. And then he, in turn, will show you his grace and serve you in ways and bless you in ways. And you know what we do? We praise him for it, which ultimately brings him glory. And so often, I think we read verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, and we make it all about us. No, no, I want to be blessed. I want to prosper. And unfortunately, I believe that the American dream has crept into our thinking of the gospel, and we've completely perverted it. We think God exists to do what I want, like he's a genie in the lamp, as we talked about a few weeks ago. No, no, we exist to serve him. And what a blessing it is. By the way, it is a blessing to serve God. Can you imagine a greater way to live your life than to just honor and serve him with everything? Man, what a praiseworthy testimony. At the end of your day, people say, man, he didn't have a lot of stuff. Or maybe he did, but it was awesome because he was all about just serving him. 
And that's a testimony that I would love to have. That it doesn't matter how big your house is. It doesn't matter what your house looks like. It doesn't matter if you have a house. All that matters is at the end of the day, man, he is your focal point. He is your everything. So what is this verse really talking about? Let's go a little deeper and understand more. What is before Jeremiah chapter 29? Someone tell me. What is before Jeremiah chapter 29? Chapter? Good job. See, I knew you guys could do this context stuff. That's awesome. All right. So what's in Jeremiah 28? We're not going to read the whole thing, but I'll give you a quick summary. This guy shows up, Hananiah, and he's a false prophet. And he begins to teach and prophesy that the exiles would be home in basically two years. Now, if you're an exile and you've got this guy, Hananiah, saying, hey, two years you'll be home. Are you listening to that good news? Any of you that are like, oh, no, 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 brother, I suffer for Jesus. I'm willfully and joyfully suffering for Jesus. And if someone said, hey, your suffering will be over in two years or 70 years, you pick. I don't know anyone that would go, yeah, sign me up for 70. Yeah, 70 sounds great. Yep, mm-hmm. I, I like that 70 thing. That's good. All of us would say two years or less. Like, can I do like a work release program? Can I get a little bit of good behavior and maybe shave a couple months off, right? Like, I want to get a little less than two years. Hananiah is preaching good news seemingly. But not really good news, it's fake good news. And I know we learned a lot about fake news recently, okay? It's not connected to this, okay? I am not going to go there, okay? But if I did, it would be a huge sermon. It would be awesome. So anyway, it'd be like the best sermon you've ever heard because it would just be the best. Um, but when you think about this hand and eye, he's preaching fake or teaching fake prophecy, fake good news. But Jeremiah is trying to teach the truth of the Word of God. So who's going to be more popular in the ears of the exiles, Hananiah or Jeremiah? Well, humanly speaking, Hananiah is. And that's how it is today. This happens on TV all the time. You hear things like this. This is your year of breakthrough. We've never heard stuff like this on TV, right? This, this is your year of breakthrough because God said he would prosper you this year. And sometimes I think we've got to be a little bit like Satan in this regard and say, did, did God really say? Did God really say that? I don't think God really said that. This would be a year of breakthrough. And people send millions of dollars to these people. And then guess what happens on December 31st of that year and you've not had your breakthrough. You're sitting there going, man, it's either me, I screwed up, or God's a liar. And we start to doubt God and walk away from our faith. And people walk away from church after church after church because they hear stuff like this. They don't see it wash out in real life. And then they get burned out, discouraged, and they're like, I quit. This is all junk. This is all made up stuff. Man, I told Sandra the other day, if you ever go to a church or you hear a pastor pretend like he's got it all figured out, leave that church now. Because there's no pastor that's got it all figured out. Just me standing up here doesn't make me better than you. Well, some of you, but not, not really, not many of you, okay? Just kidding. Just kidding. That was for my brother-in-law. Anyway, just kidding. Uh, no, 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 listen, listen. Just kidding. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, we got to, that barbecue's going to get real interesting real fast. Um, no, no, listen, it's, it's this idea that, man, people want to just hear this stuff and hear this stuff, and it sounds so good. Man, listen, I believe God can give you a breakthrough this year, and whatever that means for you in your faith or your personal life or your devotional life or if you're struggling with an addiction. Man, listen, by the way, you don't got to wait for a year. You can have a breakthrough today. He is a chain breaker. He will break those chains right now, not by some magical prayer 
or by you giving X amount of dollars or rubbing some prayer rug or some prayer cloth or whatever other garbage they want to put it to you, just calling out to the name of Jesus and saying, I believe and I receive what you have for me. Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to fill me right now that I would just give my life over to you and you would set me free from this garbage. And you don't need someone on TV to tell you that, by the way. It's in this book. Man, it's amazing when we just get into this book and we just get to know him. Because so many of us, we base our entire view of God on experience instead of on the biblical foundation that it's meant to be built upon. I truly believe that so many of us hear these messages and we like them. They sound like good news, but it's fake good news. You see those guys on TV, they tell you that God wants to bless you and prosper you and make you wealthy and rich. That doesn't really fly when you go to certain countries in our world. It doesn't really fly when you go to places like Syria and you meet the woman who's a Christian, who loves God, who follows Christ Jesus, but her son died of malaria because she couldn't afford a mosquito net. I don't think that guy that's preaching about God going to prosper you, I don't think that would fly there. I don't think it's going to fly in places where you tell people God will not harm you, and yet their cousin or their brother was just slaughtered by radical Islam because they dared to preach Christ. I don't think it would fly with my friend Stephen, who's had his church firebombed multiple times just for preaching Jesus, whose father, who's a pastor, has been shot and stabbed multiple times. And you say, but God's got a plan to prosper you. He will not harm you. They say, well, I've been harmed. God allowed it, therefore God harmed me. You see how this won't fly in some places? But man, in America, oh, we like it. Sounds really good to our ears. Because we've created a form of Christianity that we don't even need God anymore. Man, I'm so stable in my retirement, I don't even need to trust him for my daily bread. I've got bread for 40 years. Did you ever think about that prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. What does that mean? I don't even have bread for today let alone tomorrow. Now, am I against saving up and being a good steward and all that? No. What I'm saying is we work so hard. We do so much in certain years of our life so that the last 15 years of our life can be enjoyed doing nothing. Man, we invest our whole lives to enjoy this and forget about eternity to follow. Man, our mindset, because it sounds really good, but is it good news that's true? Or is it fake? We take the verses in God's word and make them apply to only those in the Western world. Really only those in the USA. But I truly believe a truth that I heard from an author this last week. What I can't preach everywhere, I shouldn't preach anywhere. What I can't preach everywhere, I shouldn't preach anywhere. So number two, and quickly. We naturally desire fake good news over real truth. We naturally desire fake good news over the real truth. We want a God that gives us certain things. And this is what I believe we can fall into the trap of thinking. We want a God that gives us joy without pain. We want a God that gives us joy without pain. We want a God that gives us holiness without trials. Holiness without trials. And we want a God that gives us prosperity without suffering. Prosperity without suffering. But is this what God or what Christ really promised his church? Is this what Jesus really gave his church? Is that as, as superficial as the gospel really is? That it's all about comfort and convenience and just, just get through. Is that really all the gospel is? 
I really believe that we can read two promises in the Word of God that actually do apply specifically to us today as the church. I'm going to give you just two. Two promises that actually apply to our church today. They're in your notes referenced. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, I know what you're thinking right now, because you're just like what I would be thinking if I was sitting in a sermon like this. I'd be thinking, wow, I'm so glad I came to church today. Right? Because, man, isn't this been really encouraging to hear about how God wants us to suffer, how God's not going to prosper me? I'm meant to be poor the rest of my life. I feel so guilty if I have anything that's good. Oh, man, I just can't handle this. Man, I'm so thankful. I can praise God. Praise God for his abundance, because, I mean, man, what do we do with our pillows? Right? Granny's pillow. Do we throw it away? Do we burn it? How about a coffee mug? Do you go home and smash it out in the yard? Okay? Because Jeremiah 2911 is not for me. It's not a promise for me. So I hate this pillow. And I hate this. And if I meet anybody who quotes that verse to me, I'm going to whip out these notes. And I'm going to say, you're a heretic. And you're going to hell. No. Don't do that. Please don't do that. If you do it, get it on film. But don't do it. Okay? <laughs> Does this mean that we will only suffer in this life? No. Of course not. Man, we have great blessings from God. But let's be honest this morning. We need to stop thinking like Americans, which is really difficult because that's what we are. And realize we are here for his glory and not our comfort. The real good news. You ready for this? Here's the real good news, the best news of the word of God. The real good news isn't that God saves us from our trials. It's that he saves us from our sin. The real good news, you want to know what the best good news of the Bible is? It's not that God will save you from your trials. It's that he saved you, past tense, in Christ, from your sin. If you make it just about the trials, man, how superficial is that? How weak is our God that's up to all he can do? But in turn, rather, he says, no, no, no. I'm going to save you from your sins in Christ Jesus. Set you for heaven in my name. You're going to live in eternity in glory. But this side of heaven, you're going to go through trials because that's just how it is. Because there will be those that don't like the real good news that you're teaching and preaching. There will be those that stand against the church. There will be those that stand against me. And when they beat against you, they're really coming against me. And when that happens, there are going to be trials. But listen, as Paul said, these trials are so momentary in the, in the light of eternity. I can go through this no problem because I know eternity is waiting for me. And it outweighs this momentary, this temporary, this simple little trial. It can't even compare. God does not save us from our trials. Sometimes he'll save us from the fire. Sometimes he'll save us through the fire. I don't know what he's going to do because I'm not God. But here's the greatest part of all. In Christ, every trial is not put to vain. Every trial is used for his glory and for your blessing. I mean, you don't cry one single tear that God has not held on to. You don't go through one single fire that he's not walking or getting in the fire with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament. God got in the furnace with them. He didn't stand on the outside and say, you can do it. I believe in you. He said, no, no, I'm going to get right in there with you because you need me most when you're in the fire. And so if you're going through a struggle, it's real, and God can identify with it, but don't go through it alone. He wants to go through it with you. He's going through it with you, so lean on him and watch him pull you through the fire. 
See, some of you are going through some struggles right now. You said, that sounds really good, Pastor, but I don't like going through this struggle. I don't want to go through this anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. I can, I can sympathize with you, but I can only do so much. But Lord Jesus, he can get on his hands and he's with you as you're crying next to your bed every night. And he's praying with you and his arms are around you. And he's saying, my grace is sufficient for you in a time of need. Just cry out to me and watch me do what only I can do. And I'm promising you this. The trial may not end tomorrow. It may not end next week. It may not end next year. But God will never leave you or forsake you. That's another promise that he's given to you this morning. Man, I don't know what you're going through, but the real good news is he saved us from our sins, not just our trials. I don't know if we really understand the fullness of that. I know I struggle with the fullness of that. When I said that the first time, I got a couple amens and a little bit of a, uh, yeah, it was great. And I think the reason we don't react in greater applause and greater cheers and greater vibrancy is because we don't really understand what it means to be saved from our sins. We don't really grasp the depth of wickedness and disgust that we were to God before we were saved. The reason I can say he saved us from our sins and not just the trials when we get a little golf clap. Mm, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Mm, 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 mm. The reason we get that is because we don't understand. You were desperately wicked. You were dead in the ground. And he lovingly and graciously rose you from the dead, filled you with his spirit, and said, we will be together forever. And not because of anything you did, but because he just said, I just love you this much that I'll die for you. I'll go to that grave for you. I'll be rose again for you. And all you have to do is just say, Lord, I just believe. I call on your name. I confess my sins, which we all have. And we just believe. And we're set for eternity in his heaven. Never to be judged for our sin. So those of you that are battling with the sin right now, that you're like, oh, I just can't get away from it. Give it to him because he's already forgiven it. It's already washed away under the blood. So what does this promise really mean to Jeremiah? What does it mean to the people? And what does it mean to me? What does this really mean? Point, quickly. What does this promise really mean? Jeremiah told them the real truth. The exiles wanted to hear it be over soon. But fake good news isn't good news. It is good news, however, to know that, yes, it will be 70 years that they will be in exile but God will not forget them while they are there. Jeremiah 29.10, again, taking context right before verse 11. This is what Jeremiah says. After 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good, toward, works, good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. And then he says in verse 11 that he has plans to prosper them and he knows their future. Why is it good news? What are the good works he's talking about in verse 10? It's the promise given in verse 11 that, listen, yes, it's going to be 70 years, but at the end of that time, I will bring you home. I mean, do you see how this promise makes more and more sense when we understand in the context of what's going on here that God is promising to his people, the Jewish people at this time, that I will bring you home. Yes, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But I'm not going to forget you because I'm bringing you home when this is done. So do we throw away our coffee mug? Do we burn our pillows? I don't believe so. I believe we can see a principle in this verse that we can apply to our understanding of our God. Here's the principle. He cares for his creation. He wants to bless and provide for you. However, the good news isn't that life now is easy with no struggle. It is that God is your God and Father and will never leave you. 
The blessing will come, but not like you thought. The sickness may take them away and take them home, but then they'll be truly healed. God has a plan, and it is always good. Sometimes we prosper in spiritual ways instead of physical abundance. Or sometimes he blesses physical abundance. We don't know. We leave it, leave it into his hands. But I love how the passage continues. And I really kind of wish we'd put this on a coffee mug because I believe this is a truth that is actually a promise to us today. It's a general principle of God's word. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Can I give you an encouragement this morning? Everything God promised to the exiles, everything God promised to the word of Jeremiah, and everything God promises to you is all about restoring relationship. It's all about restoring relationship. It's about bringing the exiles back into relationship with him. Remember, they are the ones that broke God's law. They are the ones that rebelled against God. And yet he says, I still have a plan for you. This is the heart of our God. No matter what you have done, he can and will use you when you turn back to him. I am always truly amazed that God decide to make himself known of us and that we can be known by him. I love that verse in Jeremiah 29 where it says that he says, if you will seek me, you will find me. Man, I don't know about you, but I just get so excited when I know that I can know God personally. And greater than that is that he knows me. I love that verse when it says, that I will hold on to you because you hold on to me. And here's the beauty of that truth. Even when you let go in your sin as a follower of Christ, he will hold on to you. Even when you doubt and you say, you know what, I don't know if this is worth it anymore. He's never let you go. See, we're so finical. We're so uh, just kind of just, we're just kind of here and there. We're kind of up and down. We kind of allow our emotions to run us and we get really distracted. And we go, God, I want to follow you today and tomorrow it's a bad day. So we're like, God, I don't know if it's worth it. Oh God, I want to follow you again. Oh God, this is really hard. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And we're like, we're like this. But I'm so thankful that God is faithful and constant. And he says, I will give you my spirit and it'll be a seal on you. It'll be a stamp showing that you are mine and I will hold you into the day of redemption, the Bible says. And God has not forgotten you in your struggle. And so here's what I want to do as we close an invitation. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to respond to him in whatever he's been sharing with you this morning. I want you to come forward and bend a knee if you feel God leading you to do so, to take a private time to just pray with him and say, God, I want to just respond to you. And here's what I want to ask. Those of you that are struggling right now in some way, going through a trial, going through a season, it's tough. God is not minimizing your struggle, not minimizing your trial, but you are going through it. And you need, you need his help. It's not you want his help. Let me just tell you this, you need his help. You need his love and support and encouragement. And so here's what I want you to do. If that's you this morning, when we bow, have everyone stand. When that happens, don't think about it. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't look around. All I want you to do is if you're in that struggle this morning, I want you to just get up, come forward, bend a knee. And just say, God, I'm going through this trial. It's seemingly unending. I don't know what your plan is in this, but I know you are good. I know you love me. I know you love, never let me go. So just use this to your glory. And allow me to see how you're using this in my life. Maybe you want to come and pray something like that. Whatever God is doing in your life, 
Maybe you want to come and say, God, thank you for never letting me go. Thank you for the promises in your word that say you'll never leave me. Thank you that I am here for you. Lastly, maybe you want to pray this prayer. Maybe you're a follower of Christ and you've gotten distracted by living for you more than you live for him. Maybe you think God is really out to serve you than you are to serve him. You don't believe it necessarily or you say you don't believe it, but you live that way. Sometimes we say, oh, I don't believe that, but then we live in a way that reflects a different belief than what we say. And so maybe you want to come forward this morning and say, God, I'm just here for you. I just want to be surrendered to you. Whatever you want, wherever you want, however you want, I'm yours. Whatever God is doing, would you just respond in this morning? Let's glorify him because he is a good God. He is a loving God. He cares for you and he'll never let you go. And if you cry out to him, he will allow you to find him. And he will make himself known to you. And he will have a relationship with you because that's what he desires. A relationship with his creation. And praise God that he sent his son to make that possible. So let's do this. Let's pray this morning if you would bow with me. As the praise man comes and we have a time of invitation, I pray that you would just respond to whatever the Lord is doing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, I don't know what you're doing in people's lives this morning. I pray that the word that you gave me was an encouragement and a blessing. I pray that the word that you gave me spoke to them, Lord, as it was you speaking through me. I pray that I did nothing to hinder or to distract away from your message. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak as only you can. That you would lead, guide, and direct. Show us all truth. Convict us of sin and righteousness where we need convicting. Encourage those in a trial, Lord, to know that you are with them. But Father, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior somebody that's never personally received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. Maybe they've gone to church their whole life. Maybe they were baptized. Uh, whatever. I, I don't know. But if they don't know you, then maybe this morning they would come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior, confessing their sins, believing you died on the cross for their sins, receiving you into their life, and allowing you to be the Lord and Master of their life. Father, may you be glorified that situation. Father, whatever you're doing, may we live for you. Thank you for the promises of your word. We see your love and your care and your compassion for your creation. Lord, may we work hard to understand your word so that we can better glorify you in it. And Father, as we go through trials, somebody in this room is going through the worst week of their life. Maybe it's the worst year of their life, the worst two years. It's just seemingly unending. Father, I, I pray that you would remind them you are not distant from them. You have not forgotten them. But you are there with them in the fire. Speak now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As the Lord is leading, would you respond to him? Cry out to him. Come and pray. Bend the knee. And allow him to speak to you as you pray there in your seats or as you come forward and pray, whatever God is doing, you respond to him this morning as we take some time to focus. Would you come?